Welcome to the Shadow Warrior Podcast. I'm the host, Rajiv Srinivasan, a columnist and a professor of innovation and strategy in India. Episode 96 is titled, The Fallout from Silicon Valley Bank. How did it fail? And why? And what are the consequences? What is of interest is not only how rapidly the collapse happened, but also why. Plus, what the bailout means. Moral hazard, contagion, and possible systemic collapse. Are there any safe havens left? There are several interesting questions about the spectacular and sudden collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Once you get over the initial shock of this possibility in this day and age, bank runs are only supposed to happen in the bad old days, then you'll be confronted with the question of what it means not only for you as banks, but also for your own investment strategy going forward. In a sense, the tension between economists and finance people who may not think alike all the time is coming to the fore in awkward ways. Finance professionals try to avoid risk for their companies. Economists try to manage the economy according to their orthodoxies. What is of interest is not only how rapidly the collapse happened, but also why. Plus, what the bailout, now it sure smells like one, although the U.S. authorities are emphatic that what they're doing is not a bailout. So what it uh, means in terms of moral hazard and the possibility of further contagion that could lead to systemic collapse. And finally, where the safe havens are, if any, especially in view of the possible laws of primacy for the U.S. dollar. The apparent bare facts are as follows. There was an old-fashioned bank run on SVB, as spooked depositors withdrew about $42 billion in one day out of roughly $219 billion total deposits taken in. In order to make the payouts, SVB had to liquidate long-term bonds that it held. These bonds, both in U.S. Treasuries and in fixed-rate mortgage-backed securities, had lost value because of the steady increase in interest rates by the U.S. Federal Reserve. The forced selling of these bonds caused SVB to become cash negative. They had negative $958 million in cash. An attempt to raise more funds failed. The U.S. government put it into receivership. The proximate cost of the collapse is twofold. The bank run, which is accelerated enormously because of the fact that it could be done electronically rather than by people showing up at the doors of the bank and trying to withdraw their cash physically. Besides, SVB's depositors were overwhelmingly large players, most of whom had balances greater than the 250000 for which accounts are normally insured. Once these large players, often VC-backed companies or VCs themselves, got a whiff of trouble, they were quick to act. Besides, the surprising readiness of the US government to bail them out by promising to cover all deposits, not just those below $250,000, suggests they are influential. The preponderant cause, however, lies in a poor decision made by the SVB. As all banks do, they had to park the deposits they took in somewhere where they could get a return. Unfortunately for them, in hindsight, they chose to invest in long-term bonds. At the time, before COVID, it was probably not a bad idea because if held to maturity, these bonds would yield a modest return and they are backed by the U.S. government. 
Unfortunately, what happened is that when they bought the bonds, interest rates were at a low, and so the return on these bonds was acceptable. But then the Federal Reserve started hiking up the interest rates rapidly, with good reason to control inflation. That made the yield on the bonds go up, and conversely the bonds lost value. Especially if you had to sell them, they cost you to immediately take a big haircut as you had to write down your assets and take the loss. This is a system-wide problem and SVB was an extreme case, but not the only one. Which brings us to the root cause. That is the COVID-19 or Wuhan virus epidemic. One of the ways in which the US government and other Western governments tackle the economic fallout from shutdowns and loss of business activity was to try to stimulate the economy and to basically print a lot of money and give it to the public. There was debate at the time about whether this was a good idea, but everyone seems to have got behind the plan. On the face of it, when there were lots of business failures due to the lockdowns and other disruptions and job losses, it seemed fair to just give people a lot of money to tide them over and to stimulate the economy. Besides, the universal basic income idea was hot among prominent economists at the time. It was considered fair that everybody should have a small but adequate income doled out by the state, a sort of welfare state on steroids. Every US taxpayer received a few thousand dollars as a gift, which they probably used for emergency expenditures or saved. Interestingly, the Indian government did not give out a dole. Instead, it tried to fend off the hunger problem by giving out free grains and pulses to large numbers of people. In other ways, too, India took a relatively cautious approach and did not stimulate the economy a lot during the pandemic. This proved wise. It appears now that the vast amounts of money thus printed in the West were inflationary, not surprisingly. In the case of the U.S., Ever since Richard Nixon delinked the dollar from gold, it has been possible for the government to print any amount of money. On top of this, the Ukraine war caused hydrocarbon prices to surge worldwide, as well as food prices for a variety of reasons, including sanctions on Russia on its oil and gas, and the sudden disappearance of both Russian and Ukrainian products such as fertilizer. Inflation shot up from about 0 to 1% to about 6%, which is uncomfortable and pinches the man on the street. Unfortunately, just about the only way to deal with the situation, short of ending the war in Ukraine and related disruptions, which is politically uncomfortable, is the blunt instrument of interest rate increases from the US Federal Reserve. The US Federal Funds rate, which had hovered around 0 to 0 0.25 between March 2020 and March 2022, went up in several increments of 0.75%, so that they are now at around 4.75. The Fed has most recently slowed its pace of interest rates increases, and the latest on February 1 was only 0.25%. But the damage to banks was already done as in the following post by Balaji Subramanian, a venture capitalist and crypto investor. Well, do note that. Balaji said that banks are failing because they bought treasuries, full stop. The safest asset in the world, quote-unquote, is the riskiest asset in the world. And his chart shows how unrealized gains and losses on investment securities 
are definitely large losses amounting to about 600 plus billion dollars in 2023. Inflation is a tax on savers and a boon for borrowers. Some economists, for example, Abhijit Banerjee, have suggested that governments, which are the biggest borrowers, may use it as an inflation tax to degrade their debt obligations, although there is no evidence that this was the case here. This suggests systemic risk, though, and sure enough, two other banks, Signature and Silvergate, also collapsed. Silicon Valley Bank was the second biggest bank in U.S. history to collapse. Signature was the third biggest. Now, there may be other factors as well. For example, Silvergate was a crypto-focused bank, and Signature had exposure to crypto. And after the FTX fiasco a few weeks ago, that segment is under pressure. When Silicon Valley Bank went into a tailspin, one of the biggest voices arguing for its rescue, note, he claims it is not a bailout, was Bill Ackman, a billionaire hedge fund manager. Ackman may or may not be correct. What is surely interesting to Indian observers is that he was quick to denounce the Adani group and give a certificate of authenticity to Hindenburg. Twitter user the Hawkeye X pointed this out and how the CFO of Adani mocked Ackman. Karma, I suppose. Adani is still standing, but FTX and now SVB are history. Having said all this, the US has a way of being able to deal with financial firestorms, such as the global financial crisis of 2007-8. There is also the TINA factor. Where else would you put your money? Chinese Yuan? Not likely. Euro? Isn't Europe in a tailspin? But there are a couple of ominous things in the background. Ever since Bretton Woods just after World War II, the US dollar has been the reserve currency for international transactions, in particular for oil and gas. Now, especially after sanctions on Russia, there are attempts to create non-dollar blocks. For instance, there are ruble-rupee trades and the yuan is increasingly used by China for its trade. More importantly, there was a recent Saudi-Iran agreement brokered by China. This is startling because Saudi Arabia has been firmly in the American camp and Iran has been firmly out of it. These two oil giants being shepherded by China is remarkable and it may signal that Saudi Arabia may now be looking at the petro-yuan in addition to the petrodollar. This is a danger to the value of the US dollar, demand for which has continued to be high because of its central role in trade and contracts between third parties, despite the loss of its earlier predominance due to America's trade surplus in manufactured goods. If more and more contracts are denominated in other currencies, it may lose its de facto reserve currency position. From an individual point of view, that raises questions. Where should one park one's assets? The traditional answer has been the stable US dollar. Is that still the right answer? Should one look at commodities, which are notoriously volatile, or real estate, which is not very liquid, or gold? Well, physical gold is not very easy to handle. I'm tempted to say that in these volatile times, the traditional wisdom of the Indian woman may be the right approach. Buy gold, and not paper gold, because that is dependent on how much you trust the intermediary that's giving their, you their assurance that they will give you back 
the gold intact. Things will take some time to settle. It's likely that the contagion will hit a few more American banks. I hope that it can be contained and there will not be the global financial collapse that some doomsters have been predicting for a while. But Silicon Valley Bank is definitely the canary in the coal mine, pointing to major underlying issues. Written on 15th March 2023.